Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. We're here. Welcome back here, Red Sox beat. You know the drill by now. Jess Thomas. My name is Jared Scally. Two of us got Red Sox and Major League Baseball covered for you. Fans, don't forget, engage with your favorite sports podcast on CLNS Radio. We have partnered with Reach to develop a brand new way to talk about your favorite sports teams with all of your friends. Go to www.reachedapp.com backslash CLNS and download the app for iOS or Google Play today. Of course, you can go to your iOS or Google Play store on the phone as well, and choose your favorite group and invite all of your friends to join you. Answer questions and share across all of your social media pages. The app is simple and easy to use, so get hashtag on board with us today. Jess, my friend, it's nice out. Red Sox won. I predicted everything that was going to happen this past week. It's a good week. You're like some kind of genius over there. It's great. Rubbing <laughs> it in early. I keep going. Hey, you got it. Next week I'll be take, completely take, wrong. Take credit for it. You did it. We got a lot to talk to just today. I, you did the show prep today, which is fantastic. Um, yeah, got some MLB headlines I'll get to in a second here. We'll get the recap of what I predicted what was going to happen. Uh, look at the pitching and pitching coaches. Look at obviously get fantasy to talk about. We always do there, and some more obviously Red Sox tidbits and storylines. So first, Jess, let's get through the MLB headlines first. The big one of the week: Miami Marlins fired their manager Mike Redman after 16 and 22 starts. And almost being no hit the other day, I'm pretty surprised they didn't fire him right off the bench. They hired their general manager, Dan Jennings, to take over as manager on Monday. And side note, he has never coached at the major league level. Last time he coached was in a high school baseball game. So take that for what you want to be worth. Uh, next, speaking of that, it is just words speaking of that in the rundown here. Shelby Miller is now 5-1 with a 1.33 ERA. He went 8 and two-thirds no hit innings on 94 pitches. Other news, Josh Hamilton is likely to return to playing baseball next week for the Rangers. He's been out all year with his injury, and obviously the whole showing with the Angels not being able to handle him in his relapse and got traded back to the Rangers. So now he's healthy and ready to go this week, possibly next week. Carlos Gomez hit in head with a pitch. Yeah, sounds dangerous, but they're after reports and medical checks, checkouts, whatever you want to call it, checkups, uh, tests. There is no sign of any concussion, and he should be good moving forward. I, th- I believe they list him as day to day. Those are your MLB headlines. Of course, they're brought to you by Lynda.com. Lynda.com, go to www.lynda.com backslash CLNS Radio. Claim what is yours, your free 10 day trial, courtesy of us here at CLNS Radio. Over 4,500 different courses taught by experts on everything you can possibly think of. So go check that out. Uh, Jess. Firing, the Marlins firing their manager wasn't really shocking, but it's who they hired. It's kind of shocking. Well, see, here's the thing. The Marlins are stupid. I think a lot of teams are stupid because they fire their manager yeah. too quickly. We've covered that multiple weeks at a time because we always think that the that, that coaches get the hook way too quickly when the team's not performing. Mm-hmm. But the Marlins, even more so, because this is their fifth manager in the last six years. Like, Is it really necessary to have a new manager every, essentially every single year? You don't, you, there's no chance. You don't have any chance to do anything, in my opinion. Yeah, when you hire a new manager, you kind of get screwed because it's almost you're telling your team, you guys suck, but we can't fire all of you. 
and that was like the third or fourth time it's happened. And this team was made did changes in the off season, and they were expected to be better this year. And now they're starting sixteen and twenty two, they didn't want to play it out. And now hopefully, general manager, former general manager, excuse me, now new manager Dan Jennings can come in and maybe get a message across to these guys that he he brought in himself. He's the guy who created this team. He put this team together. So now he's got to go convey the message he tried to get when he signed all these guys. Yeah, it's it's just well, okay, so. First of all, like you said, with the the new manager, it's basically saying that you're not good enough, but we can't fire you all. That's a great point. And then taking it even further, then they say, and you're so bad that we're going to get a new person, then you have to get used, completely used to the whole new person out of nowhere. <laughs> and it's like, then it's even more challenging than it already is in the first place. I think it's a terrible idea. And I think getting Dan Jennings is an even worse idea. And I believe that myself, and I've already read a bunch of stuff today that people agree with me. But it's a terrible idea. First of all, because he hasn't coached since high school 30 years ago, like you said, which is ridiculous in the first place. High school and the pros are vastly different, I would say. He's a he's a front office guy. He knows how to put a team together, but I don't think he's going to be able to right, manage. What's he's going to be able to manage and putting him from one to the next is kind of a strange transition. And just to fire Redmond after, after 38 games... When you're only a couple games under 500, I mean, come on, let's be realistic. They're only two games worse than the Red Sox right now. Like it's it's really not that bad. It's not like they're like seven and 30 or something like that. Like, come on, like give them a chance. Like it's just, I hate it. I absolutely hate it. Very big overreaction. That is sure. So dumb. Um, yeah, Shelby Miller. I just figured I'd add that just because he did get the almost no hitter and the fact that he pitched a complete game shutout and didn't even throw 100 pitches is just pretty sweet and he's off to another great start this year he's obviously got a bright future ahead he's already had a good good career in the in the young going so far and he's already five and one with a 133 ERA and he got a team to fire their manager so guy's doing everything and I figured I'd just just note how impressive a season he's having so far yeah no Shelby Miller is impressive and to pitch 94 pitches and finish the game it's, it's impressive it's quite impressive you, usually when guys pitch complete games, they feel like 120 pitches because nobody throws complete games anymore. <laughs> the fact that he didn't even throw 100 yeah. is incredible. Uh, Josh Hamilton. Figured I'd throw him again because, you know, he's basically an MLB headline weekly. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Literally, he's been a, I think he's been an MLB headline like five out of the last six weeks or something. So, but it's, it's newsworthy because he is close to returning and that's a big deal because... He has been a very good player in the past, and we'll see if he can do it again. It's, it'll be a nice change for the Rangers. They're a pretty poor team at the moment, 15 and 20, 15, 16 and 22 currently. So they can need some help, and if he can, if he can come into the middle or bottom of their order, maybe a five or six hitter, and and get some production finally, then that could be that could be a big deal for them. It'd be nice to just talk about baseball and Josh Hamilton and not drugs and getting traded and how much he's failing his life and his divorce. Let's just talk about him playing baseball. Because you know that's what he wants to do. <laughs> exactly. At this point, he's using baseball as his scapegoat for the rest of his life, and that's what he's been using it for. So let's get him back on the diamond, please. Seriously. And then Carlos Gomez, just a little scary thing, because it's always scary when someone gets hit in the head, but it's it's remarkable how often someone gets hit in the head and they're fine. It, helmets for, my friend. Seriously. It's it's important. I mean, even when guys hit, get hit in the head as a pitcher, though, I, feel, I still feel like three-fourths of the time they're okay. So it's a shock, shocking reality. Yeah, but they get hit in the head a lot. They do sometimes. But batters more than obviously than pitchers. But and Gomez it's still crazy. Gomez did say that the helmet definitely saved him. He said that <laughs> that was thank God for the helmet because he didn't say that. But I'm saying that because that's if you get hit in the head with a baseball with that helmet on, uh, you're probably not going to live. <laughs> yeah, depends on where you get hit. Yeah. But there's a good chance where he got hit. He wasn't. He was going down and staying down if he wasn't wearing a helmet. So, yeah, so thankfully, baseball players were. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. There's your headlines. There you go. I like it. All right. Let's uh, let's recap this week that I predicted so gratefully. I'd be happy to. Um, just do your thing, my friend. I'll do my thing. All righty. Well, it was an interesting week. It continued the road, the ten game road trip after the first three against Toronto, where Toronto took two out of three. It was a rough start, and the Red Sox needed something good. In Oakland, I predicted a sweep. You predicted two out of three. You got it. It was a uh, it was a good series for the most part. The first game uh, last Monday was an exciting one. Just what everyone wanted. A ten o'clock game that went into eleven innings. Everyone's everyone's dream. <laughs> so, so the pitching matchup in that game was 
you wouldn't even remember because the game went so long, but it was Rick Porcello against Scott Casimir, which is a good matchup. They both pitched well. They both, uh, Porcello went five innings, Casimir went six, and they gave up three and two runs, respectively. So it was a pretty good matchup, and uh, went down to the end. It was a tie game in the seventh inning at 3-3 three to three after Betts tied it up with an RBI single. Then Pedroia, the next batter, hit into a fielder's choice and gave Boston a 4-3 lead. Everything was looking good until Steven Vogt hit a sack fly in the bottom of the seventh to tie it at four. And then that would send us to a couple more innings. And I went all the way to the 11th inning when at the top of the 11th, Pablo Sandoval hit a home run just over the wall in right field. Just gone. Gave the Red Sox a 5-4 to four lead. And Matt Barnes shut the door in the 10th and the 11th inning. Two innings, no hit, and he got the win. And he's- Can I just tell you, before you move on, Jesse, yeah. here, the 10 o'clock games killed me, first of all. West Coast games, I'm not a fan of them. Some people are. I've heard the argument, oh, well, they're nice because you can get settled in at night and then just kind of fall asleep to the game. I hate them. They're, they, make, they make for a long night. That game didn't get over to like 3 or like it was, 2 o'clock. It was, uh, yeah, it was like 2.15. And, that, I mean, that was with extra innings, but that's my point is 10 o'clock game with extra innings is just brutal. Yep. Not fun. Yeah, no question about who did the, it. Who did the recap that night on CLNS for us? Shane. <laughs> I feel bad for Shane. Hey, he, he was a trooper, too. He put it up that night. He did. He put it up at, like, 250 or something. <laughs> I would not have done I would have been dead the next day if I did that. I, I would know. Have well, hopefully he doesn't work at 9 a.m. or 8 a.m. or something. So, Yeah, no, I liked, I liked 10 o'clock games until I had a job ready to get up. So <laughs> now I'm not quite as big of a fan. I do like that you can, that you kind of like have your whole night until the game starts. So I do like that. It does change your mind very quickly, though. Yes, it does very quickly. You're not so keen to stay up till two in the morning when you have to get up at seven thirty or eight. So, <laughs> yep. So that's the first game. Fantastic win. Great way to start off the road trip. Nice, exciting extra innings. Not a walk off, but walk off for the for the road team. You can call it. So then Tuesday came along and Justin Masterson pitched, and everyone just wants to forget about that game because I know I do because I predicted a sweep, and boy was that. Not even close. <laughs> the game was essentially over before it started. Masterson gave up three runs in the first after a Stephen Vogt two-run homer, made it 3 nothing. Then another run in the second, and then he gave up three more in the third, and Josh Reddick solo home run, and a two-RBI single for Eric Sogard. And then the fourth inning, Marcus Simeon hit a home run, and it was 8 nothing after four innings. <laughs> so, yeah. so for all the fans who didn't want to stay up for the 10 o'clock game, they didn't have to because it was already over. So that that that's good for the for the sake of someone like you <laughs> who didn't. Yeah, that game was rough. I didn't watch much of it. Yeah, no, I I watched the first couple innings and said, okay, I don't think they're gonna win this one. No, and oh, and you were I'm right. An eternal optimist, but something about that didn't feel good. <laughs> no. Josh Reddick had four hits, four for five with three RBI, killing his old team, and uh, Simeon hit three had three hits in his home run. So great day for the A's. Horrible day for the Red Sox. The silver line in the whole thing was that Stephen Wright came in for Masterson after his two and a third innings of six runs and settled down, pitched the rest of the game, didn't have to use the bullpen, and he only gave up three runs in five and two-thirds innings, which is essentially a quality start from the bullpen. And it obviously gave him a start in Sunday's game, which I'll get to, because Masterson went on the DL afterwards with right shoulder tendonitis, also known as he. Why? Not fishing well, so let's get him Lie. out of there. <laughs> not, yeah. not a thing. Yeah. So Masterson's on the shelf right now for for uh, not pitching well. <laughs> and we'll talk about him in a little bit after the recap because many question marks as to what, what the Red Sox should do to him. But in this game, he was terrible, and it was a quick loss. And as the case has been for the whole season before this game, the pitching staff not given the the bats a chance to to get runs because if you're down eight nothing after four, it's probably a little discouraging to the offense. We'll get to the offense too, that's a whole other issue. But so the series was tied at one for game three on Wednesday with what looked like a horrible matchup for the Red Sox, Wade Miley against Sonny Gray. Miley was one and four with almost a seven ERA, and Gray was four and oh with an ERA of one six five. So it looked like a horrible matchup and somehow, some way Wade Miley defeated Sonny Gray. The Red Sox won two to nothing. Just a couple couple of simple hits off Gray. It was a bloop RBI single for Daniel Nava and a RBI 
infield single for Pedroia. That wasn't off Gray, but it was it was in the eighth inning, and that was all the Red Sox got, and it was all they needed because Miley pitched six and two thirds innings, didn't give up a run. He was in multiple jams. I recapped the game like literally, he was in a jam every inning, got out of every single one, had four walks and five hits, didn't let any of them in, and you know that's ultimately the name of the game. You can you can struggle, but if you are able to get out of the innings and get out of there with a win, that's really what one cares about. He, Wade Miley, let's put it this way, folks, if you didn't see the game, he was walking his way and somehow didn't step on a bunch of mines that were in front of him. And he, he was in a minefield the entire game, and he somehow didn't get, didn't get blown up. Every other start this year, he would have stepped on something. This time he didn't. It was, as much as I want to say it was a good win, it really wasn't. In my opinion, he was lucky. But it, and you're lucky that, you're lucky you got a couple blue pits against Sonny Gray. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a way to win, though. I mean, just get a couple couple simple hits off a tough pitcher if you can just get them in, which they did. And then if you can somehow knock them up runs, the A's were 0 for 14 with runners in scoring position. And just to give you a little sense, uh, Miley walked the first two batters and then got three straight outs in the first inning. And the second mm-hmm. inning, they had first and second with one out, didn't score. And the third inning, they had a leadoff triple, three straight outs, didn't score again. And then the fourth, fifth, and sixth, they had a hit in each inning and didn't, didn't manage to score any of those times. So, like you said, Miley managed to tiptoe around the, the mines and, and knock up a run. So that was turned out to be a really good win. It was a quick game, and the Red Sox won two out of three from Oakland, as you predicted, which, yeah, I, did. I mean, you take that. You're facing Sonny Gray, and you're facing a West Coast team, and you win two out of three. I don't care how bad they are. They're the second-worst team in the American League, but wins are wins, and they won two out of three, and that was good. Brought us into the Seattle series, a nice four-game series. I predicted them to lose three out of four. You predicted them to win two out of the four. That's what, ha- that's what happened, and it happened in, in an interesting way. It was an, quite an odd series, in my opinion. Very few runs, great pitching matchups, interesting games. So let's break them down. Thursday was a good pitching matchup. Joe Kelly, Ronus Elias, Elias, Ronus Elias. <laughs> I don't even know. Erroneous. Erroneous. Didn't look like a good matchup on paper, but it was a great matchup in in, uh, in real real life because uh, Joe Kelly went six and a third and gave up one run, and Elias went six and a third also and also gave up one run. Pretty pretty good pitching from each each pitcher. Five hits for Kelly, eight for Elias. So a couple base runners, but the offenses weren't able to do much with those. The runs that did happen: Shane Victorino hit his first home run of the season and went two for three. Good game from him, and then Hanley Ramirez went four for five with a double and three singles. It was his first double of the season, somehow, <laughs> some way. <laughs> People were shocked to see that he didn't get a double for a month and a half, but it did happen somehow, and ten home runs, but no doubles. So he got on the board with a double. Victorino got his first homer, and the game was tied going to the ninth inning, and Mookie Betts reached on a error, and Brock Holt scored, and that was... That was your win. It was off Fernando Rodney, who has been horrendous against the Red Sox in his career. He's been great for the most part against pretty much every team, but against the Red Sox already, he has like over a 6 ERA. So that was the guy they wanted to face. I mean, it worked out. Brock Holt got a double to lead off the inning. Bogart sacrificed him over to third. Sandoval got hit by a pitch on the first batter and set up Mookie Betts to get a, not a walk-off again, but almost a walk-off top of the ninth inning on the air, and Red Sox took a 2-1 to one lead, and Koji shut him down 1-2-3 after Matt Barnes pitched another 1-2-3 inning. No, sorry. He didn't pitch a 1-2-3 inning, but he pitched a scoreless inning in the eighth inning, got his second win of the year. Koji got his eighth save. Rodney got the loss, and suddenly the Red Sox had won three out of four. Or, no. And I was prime four. on my way to being right for the week. That was actually four out of five. Sorry. Yeah. You were on your way, and they were on their way with four out of five wins, which they desperately needed because they had fallen pretty far down there. And with that win, they improved their record to 17-18, and 18, got within one game of 500. All looked good. It was all set up for, for Friday with a Clay Buckholtz against J.A. Happ matchup. Once again, another another great pitching from, from both pitchers. Happ pitched seven innings of one-run ball. And Clay Buckholtz may have pitched the best game of his career with... I hate that. That's terrible. Don't say that. He was sharp. He was. He threw a no hitter. That can't be the best game of his career. Yeah, but you look. You look at stuff, and you look at what stuff he had in that game and stuff in this game, and 
there could be a so. case to say that he pitched just as He's well. Playing Seattle in May, that is not the best game in his career. All right. Well, he pitched eight innings, three hits, one run, zero walks, eleven strikeouts. That's very impressive. No walks, eleven strikeouts, especially for him. But unfortunately, despite that fantastic game of eleven Ks and one run, they, the offense couldn't score anything besides one run in the second inning and one mistake for Buckle to tie the game at one. Took us to the bottom of the ninth inning when Tommy Lane gave up a base runner. Janice Tazawa came in to face Nelson Cruz, the hottest hitter in baseball. And John Farrell took credit for it, took credit for the loss. They got to a full count on Nelson Cruz and threw a splitter that did not split. It was right down the middle. Blasted it to left field way over any fielder's head. Not a home run, but it was not even close to being caught. And it was a walk-off win. And first base was sitting there, wide open. Horrible. Let's, let's talk about this for a second. Please, let's talk about this. <laughs> they, if you look at the matchup in the past, Nelson Cruz is one for eight against Tazawa. Yeah. Is that what Farrell said and said, "Screw it, let's do it." Essentially, I mean, they brought him in. It was a good matchup. I mean, he went after him and he got him to a full count. He was throwing good pitches. But when you get, but once you get you to get the full count, you just walk yeah, when you get to three balls, either throw something not even close to the plate, hope he swings and misses. He did. He swung and missed at a splitter earlier in the at-bat. So if he just threw a good splitter instead of one right down the middle, just throw it in the dirt, see if he chases. If he doesn't chase, he takes first base, and you don't lose. And if he <laughs> if he swings and misses, you're out of the inning. But see, at lose. that point, what I don't even get is you had Tommy Lane in the game throwing well. You had the best hitter in baseball coming up with first base open, and you had two lefties in the lineup behind him. So just walk him and have Why don't Lane you just face. walk him and let Tommy Lane pitch the rest of the inning? Right, because Kyle Seager was up next, and he's a lefty. So you just let Lane face Seager. Like, you let Seager beat you. You don't let Cruz beat you. Right, because Seager signed that big contract, but he's only hitting two forty eight this season. So <laughs> Exactly. You you take the matchup, um, the, the better matchup. You don't let Nelson Cruz, who's the hottest hitter in baseball right now, Give it a chance to beat you. That's like pitching to David Ortiz with a right-handed batter with a chance to win. Yep. Yeah, it was. I'm I'm glad Farrell owned up to it because it was a horrible decision. It was. Do you think he's too like John Farrell? And this is kind of a situation where I can kind of bring it up because of what he said there. Do you think he's too? I wouldn't say conservative, but do you think he's too by the book? Do you think he just play, sees the numbers and has his binder and all that stuff and just kind of sits there and plays the matchups versus like. I think Frank Kona has really good reactionary managerial skills. I think that in in games, and he's that. I think Frank Kona is a better analyzer of the game, and Joe Madden is a better analyzer of the game right as it's happening. John Farrell, I believe, is more by the book because he's a pitching coach by heart. Yeah, no, I definitely think you're right. He's definitely more by the book. But a situation like that, really, it's like if if you're by the book and you're looking at the book, then freaking walk him because he's hitting 15 home runs and 29 RBI in a month and a half, and his average is. 360 like that there there's your, they were looking at the wrong there's book. Your book right <laughs> <There's> your <numbers. laughs> take your book and shove it john Seriously. so whether he looks at the book or not i don't, I don't know what he was doing in that game because that was an awful decision i'll be i'll stand behind john farrell in any game but not not this one that was that was bad no brainer no brainer to walk to nelson cruz in that situation i mean i was sitting there before the bat and i was like why why are we pitching to him <laughs> like before it even happened i was just like man this is a horrible decision. Yeah, very dumb. So that ruined the momentum. It would have been five out of six if the Sox could have won. As a result, they lost. And good news was they picked themselves up on Saturday. Didn't get down on themselves, uh, even though they were facing Felix Hernandez on Saturday against Rick Porcello. And Rick came through once again for his third win out of four starts. He hasn't lost in a number of starts because he got a no, no decision in, in his start before that we just talked about. So Felix Hernandez was 6-0 and with a ERA, I believe it was under 2 before the game started. I think it was one eight five. But the Red Sox got some wood on the ball. Sandoval had a home run. Ortiz had a home run. And they they got to Felix for four runs in six innings. And he also had four walks. He was very ineffective, really. Uh, he, he didn't look good at all. He wasn't in command. Only had five strikeouts, which is nothing for him. Seven hits and four walks in six innings is... Uh, What's he averaging per game for strikeouts? Like six, seven? I don't know an exact number, but I mean he leads the league in strikeouts every year. He has fifty-five in uh, eight starts. 
Yeah, so whatever, he's a strikeout whatever guy. Whatever fifty-five five know, by eight is, yeah. We all, we all know he does he does well in the strikeout department. You can usually expect him to get somewhere between seven and eleven, pretty much every game. Yeah. And only five is pretty low for him, especially when he gives up runs. And Porcello held the Mariners down. Brad Miller hit two home runs, and that was all the Mariners could get. And the Red Sox tacked on two more runs in the sixth inning. Off off of Hernandez after the after the two home runs, and and the Red Sox bullpen shut him down, and the Red Sox took the first two out of three behind behind one of the better offensive games because we'll get to how bad that's been. Four runs is a lot for for this team currently, but it was enough to win the game, and that brought us up till yesterday Sunday. Felix Hernandez, sorry, Jess, is averaging yeah. like six point eight strikeouts per game. Okay. So that's seven. Yeah, uh, six point eight. So. Getting five is pretty pretty low, definitely pretty low. So the final game of the series and the 10-game road trip was Stephen Wright against James Paxton, and James Paxton looked like Felix Hernandez, not Felix Hernandez. So <laughs> Yeah, it was a weird situation. You would have thought you would have won yesterday's game, not Saturday's game. I know. It was, it was weird. Wright didn't pitch bad. He pitched he pitched uh, five innings and gave up three runs. It was a little wild at times, but looked pretty good for the most part. I mean, usually you can expect to... Uh, give up three runs, and either be in the game or win it most of the time. was not the case, and the bullpen gave up two more runs late in the game on a Kyle Seager home run, and the Red Sox offense was just non-existent. Uh, Swihart blew a couple of rallies with getting out with guys on base, and just frankly, there weren't a whole lot of guys on base, period, the whole game. Sox only got five hits, and you're not going to win that way, so that wrapped up the road trip, 2-2 two and two against Seattle, 5-5 five and five overall. Not a bad road trip overall, record-wise, and the pitching was fantastic. And the hitting was not, and that will that will lead us into the rest of the rest of the show. But that's your weekly recap: a four and three record this week from Monday to Sunday. And my MVP for the trip was the whole pitching staff because the offense did nothing and all the pitchers were great for the most part. Okay, their pitching was phenomenal, except for Masters, of course. Right. Um, phenomenal for what they are. Uh, Porcello got two starts, and he went five, and then he went six and two-thirds. Buckles' start was the best one, obviously, by far. He went eight deep, only giving up a run. And you wrote this question here, Justin, sitting in front of me. I'm going to pose it to you. Do you give some or all credit or any credit to Carl Willis for the, the way this week went pitching-wise? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm don't. i not one to just give credit to coaches immediately because, obviously, the players play the game, but... Just the immediate switch, right as Nevis left to right as Willis came in, and how dramatically the pitching changed right away, it's kind of got to mean something, don't you think? I think it does, but I, I think it's still, I think the pitchers now, I think they see a sense of urgency. They knew all along that they weren't going to be a great staff, despite them coming out and wearing the ace t-shirts and Farrell backing them, saying we have five aces and all that crap from the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. I think they... They knew that they needed to step it up, and seeing their pitching coach get fired, I think that was more of a jolt than anything. Carl Willis coming in, saying things after two weeks of being, or like a week of being in the job, on the job. So, I want to give him some credit because I know I've been reading some things around saying that he told Joe Kelly to slow down and not throw as hard. Probably some common sense stuff, but hearing it from another coach that wasn't Juan Nieves might have helped. And he pitched well. Telling, he pitched really well. Telling Clay Buckholz to just mentally figure out some throw, stuff. I saw an article really. <laughs> I saw an article earlier today. I forget where it was from. I can find it, I think, if I look hard enough. Um, the Red Sox's main focus this year has been on mental, mental issues and mentality of the pitching staff, which is huge because your quote-unquote ace of the staff in Clay Buckholz is the biggest mental case in the entire Major League Baseball system. So I think they're on the right track. I think they're going to have to stay consistent now, and I'm intrigued by how this week goes, which we'll preview later because, because now you have, except for Pocello, all, every, all these guys only got one start this week. Right. So I'm intrigued. Like Buckholz's start, just to throw it out there for you people out there listening, is next is Thursday against the Rangers, right? Rangers. Yeah, that's who, that's who we're playing. Yeah, next, yeah. So that, I'm intrigued to see how he does then. Yeah, the Rangers haven't played well, but I don't care. I want to see if he can come out. If he, if they're not playing well, he should be able to go eight innings again, exactly, and have a decent start, seven or eight innings. So what, that's a key start to look out for. Uh, Porcello's going to get another start here. See how Stephen Wright does the second time around, being that new starter entered into the rotation here. See if. Joe Kelly can keep his command just like he did on Thursday. So is, is it all you got to watch this time around. The first time around's great. They did it right. finally. Now, is it up to Carl Willis to send the message? You got to do it again now. 
or people are going to keep being on you. Right. If you can get if you can get Miley pitching almost seven innings and Kelly almost pitching seven innings and only giving up like one or no one or no runs and Buckles striking out eleven guys, that'd be great for the future. So yeah, I'm I'm looking for the same thing. I'll I'll be willing to give him even more credit if they can consistently keep this up over a couple couple more weeks span. Like then we're getting into the three weeks to a month with Carl Willis, and if the pitchers are still pitching this well, then then I think we can start heaping some some more praise on him because that is enough of a sample size to you know we had enough of a sample size with Nieves to see that they weren't pitching well, and if we have enough of a sample size with Willis to see that they are pitching well, then that's significant to me. For once, I cannot crap on. The pitching staff. Nope. I, I typed out every single game, and it sure dar- it looks darn good on paper, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it, it does look good on paper, and you can't really say anything now. I Now, if Clay Buckles comes out and throws a clunker on Thursday, oh, I'm going to be right back on him. Right. So, Clay Buckles, you get a break from me this week. You're welcome. You earned it. You did. You pitched a good game. Yeah. All right. You know, I want to I wanted to just talk about this now, just since we're still talking about the pitching staff, and they yeah. were all so good. Just going back to Masterson, since obviously we're talking about how good all of them are, except him, fake except injury. him, right? Because he pitched horribly for a couple straight games and had the fake injury. So when he quote unquote comes back from his non-injury, should they keep put him back in the rotation and and have Stephen Wright go elsewhere, or the bullpen, or AAA, or should they stick with Stephen Wright or somebody else, put Masterson in the bullpen, or put Masterson in the minors? I don't know if they can do that, but uh, I don't think Masters is going to the minors. I don't think that's happening. So but, bullpen, um, bullpen or starter? What do you think? I think I think the best way to see this is one. I don't want to say anything too reactionary as much as I love doing that now because I want to see what Stephen Wright does on a consistent basis now that he's in the rotation. Um, if he's going to be the five starter, if the way he pitched the other night, I'm okay if the offense starts to pick up more, which we'll talk to in a bit here. But five innings and two earned runs isn't too bad for me for a start for Stephen Wright. So. If that gets be consistent and the offense picks up the way it should, then I'm okay with him being the five starter and Masterson being the bullpen, which I believe I believe either way Masterson should be in the bullpen. I think that's where he belongs at this point. He doesn't have the stuff as much to, as now to throw as a starter, but for a couple innings, one time through the rotation or the batting order for the other team, excuse me, they he can get people out because they don't know what's coming. But second time through, they know what's coming. They, he only has a few pitches. So I think he belongs in the bullpen as a long guy. Get you through a couple innings if one of your starters sucks, which again, Masterson and Miley, you might if he goes to the bullpen, you might see Masterson pitch a lot of times that Miley pitches, um, the way Wade Miley's been pitching. So I, I think the best situation is see how Stephen Wright does, but either way, put Masterson in there, and if not, you're gonna go after the young guns and put one of the young guys in the bottom. You can't let Masterson go back to the rotation; it's just a train wreck. But here's okay. So here's the thing: I I pretty much agree. I definitely want to see Wright give a get a shot and. Masterson stay out of the rotation for now, but the question is: Is Masterson even going to be good in the bullpen? Because if you're not effective in the rotation and he's he's a little bit wild and he tends to walk people, do you really want someone like that coming in after your starter struggles and having them struggle too, or or rely on him in like the sixth or seventh inning to get three or four outs when when he's all over the place? Is that is that going to be good either? I think you're going to have to. I think I don't think you have a choice at this point, and I think it's only May. I think you got to try it, and I think you got to figure it out. Now, if you if you ride this injury train out, you take him off the DL, and you give him some starts down in AAA as a rehab assignment, and see how he does. Then bring him up here. I still think that you have to consider the the bullpen option because, again, like I said, he, what, most of his struggles are second and third time through the lineup. You get him, you'll you get him a couple innings. He's going to get like one max one trip through the road through the lineup to the opposing players. And you're good. You, you get the stuff. He'll he'll probably suck every once in a while still. But it's, I think it's better off than making him try to pitch six or seven innings because it's just not going to happen. Yeah, no, I'm definitely I'm definitely in favor of. I mean, I don't want to just get rid of him. I've always liked him, and he's been a good pitcher from time to time. And I like getting him back. I, I I just worry about having him be wild in the bullpen as well, and just having him be a disaster no matter where he pitches. I hope I hope he goes to the bullpen. I hope he pitches great because. He could mm-hmm. be valuable if he can do that. He could be valuable as a starter if he could get his stuff together, but I'm not sure not sure how realistic that is at the moment. So, yeah, hopefully he can go go to the bullpen when he comes back, see if Wright can pitch in the rotation, and see if Masterson can give him a, a good arm out of the bullpen. That would obviously be ideal, but definitely a concern with how poorly he's pitched so far. Yeah, I, I do like the conversation, though, Jess, because it is one to think about. And obviously you have at least 15 days to think about it because you got put on the 15-day DL. So with that phantom tendonitis, they 
definitely doesn't have. <laughs> no, not a chance does he have tendonitis. Didn't he say he felt good? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he felt fine the entire time. So there's no way he has tendonitis. Um, they're just cleaning up a roster spot. Yeah. Um, all right, so we can talk about pitching and the Red Sox in a bit here. We're going to get to our fantasy picks right now. Um, so, Jess, I have two that might surprise you. I know you kind of probably already know who they are. But, I do. Because you, you see them in front of you. But you can go first this week. We're going to give you your two ads like we always do every week here on Red Sox Beat for Sealness Radio. So Jess, give me give me someone you you're, you want me to add on my fantasy team. Okay, so this is I find this really funny, and it just so happened this way. I didn't even plan it. Both of the guys that I'm going to tell you to pick up here are two guys that I dropped from my team earlier in the year that are now picking it up again. Kind of kind of ironic, and I hate doing it because I dropped them, but now seeing the the upswing in their production, I'm flip flopping on them. My first is Shin Su Chu on Texas Rangers, who will be seen Tuesday through Thursday. He was horrendous to start the season. Let me tell you, he was on my team. He started the season 5 for 52. He was hitting like 110 or whatever whatever 5 for 52 is. I think it's even less than that. He was horrendous. He couldn't do anything. He was literally like the worst player there, and there were so many better options out there. So I dropped him, of course, because I just couldn't deal with him anymore. And he continued to be bad for a couple of weeks. Since then, though, he's been on fire. He's all the way up to 242, which is... if. if you heard I just said how bad he was before. He's been hitting probably 400 since then. He's up to six home runs and 17 RBI, and suddenly becoming quite the fantasy commodity over the last week and a half or two weeks because he's hitting really well, which is so weird to me because he was so bad. But he is a good player. He's supposed to be good. I drafted him pretty high, so he's a severe disappointment, and he was picked up in my league today. So I'm not crazy. He's He's definitely on fire, and people are starting to pick him up. So if he's in your league available, if someone like me – dropped him earlier in the season, go get Shinsu Chu, because he could be really valuable if he continues this. He, he has a track record of being good, and he, he's if he can kind of stay hot now and um, kind of increase that average for you, I think he's a great ad, and I think he's, with the way he was playing at the beginning of the year, uh, if you want to go, if you're a daily fantasy player, like most people are for baseball season, just because it's a long, grueling season, if you play like Justin and I do in an everyday league, um, it's it's... It's tough, and you need you need your averages, but he's probably going to be a low value guy money wise for right now. So I would I would buy buy low while you still can if you're playing daily as well. All right, my first one. Um, which one do I want to give first, Jesse? Let's see. I'll give I'll get the least surprising one first. I'll go my first one. Uh, I get both positional players today. I'm usually a pitching guy, but I'll go positional players today. First one's a shortstop. If you need a shortstop, I, I'm, I'm I think he's only listed as a shortstop. I'm not sure yeah, though. Yeah, he is. Um, Jose Iglesias. Yes, that Jose Iglesias. Um, still playing for the Tigers now, everyday shortstop Actually for them. Now that, he's got, <laughs> now that he's gotten back and healthy. Um, look, this guy can play. We all knew he could eventually. He just kind of got stuck because Xander Bogarts was behind him and he wasn't producing fast enough. So he got traded away for UNS Espedes. We all know the whole deal. Now, though, he is hitting 346 this year. Sneaky hitting 346. In the last week, he's hitting 333 with three RBIs, two walks, um, and that's eight hits. That's phenomenal numbers for a guy who couldn't hit the side of a barn when he was playing in a Red Sox uniform. This guy has tremendous value. I picked him up today. He's probably not only in that many leagues. I promise you he's not. If he's a key, if you're in a keeper league and you don't have him, someone has to have him, trade for him, get him, whatever. He's playing well, and I would get him. He's going to help you. His, his average, again, your team average is probably not above a 300. It's going to bump it up tremendously just by putting him in the lineup. He's hitting for average, and that's huge for fantasy baseball. So definitely, definitely go get Jose Iglesias, which is crazy because the last year, two years ago, I would not have told you to do that. I can't believe he's hitting 346. <laughs> yeah, he's hitting 346 with one homer and six rings. I had no idea. Four, 402 OBP, man. It's crazy. Yeah, no, that's a good pickup. He keeps hitting like that. That's impressive. All righty. My second person, as I said, another person that I had on my team for a while, and he just so happened to be 0-4 when I had him, and his ERA was like 6-something. Terrible. Jared Weaver is her man on the LA Angels, another team the Red Sox are going to see this week. Didn't plan that either. But Weaver, since I dropped him, since he was 0-4, he's won two straight games in very impressive fashion. He got a complete game shutout in one of those. And then in his last game, he pitched seven innings and only gave up one run. Seven, seven to third innings, sorry. So 16 and a third innings, nine hits, one run, one walk, 
nine strikeouts in the last two games. So he's now two and four, and he's dropped his ERA to four forty four, just in time, just just after I dropped him. So that was terrible timing. So I'll, I'll have to consider picking him back up because he seems to be back on the upswing, and I was really excited to have him on my team until he was terrible. So now that he's pitching well again, just like Shinsu Chu, he's another guy that's, that's becoming more valuable start by start. So I would grab him before he's totally gone because if he keeps pitching shutouts and one runs in seven innings, then he's not going to be there for very long. You have crappy luck, right? Like you, need, you need to just be patient. Well, I was patient with a lot of guys, just not those two, and... True. Coming back to bite me, I guess. You chose the wrong two. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. All right, let's move on here. Let me see. What, what was my last one? Oh yeah, that's right. My last one now. Red Sox fans, you might, you might get this more than everybody else might, but you still might call me crazy. But I'm going to tell you anyway. Go get Shane Victorino. Yes, flying Hawaiian. I believe has fantasy value. Last seven days, um, hitting three fifty three. Had a good trip, got reactivated in Oakland, and had a good road trip. Had an RBI and a homer on the trip with a double, six hits. Crazy, man. Had a stolen base in there as well. Um, He's got some value. Look, I know he's only hitting 212 on the season. Ignore the total season average. It looks horrendous. Last seven days, since he came back, he's hitting 353. If you're going to pick him up, my advice, make sure you see who the Red Sox are playing and who's the pitching matchup because they – He's probably only going to be playing against lefties. So there's a good chance that you're not going to get to play him every day. But when he's in there, it's almost like a Brock Holt situation where when he's in there, he's good. But when he's not, he's not going to play every day. Shane's not going to play every day. So make sure you pay. If you're going to go get him, which I would consider doing, don't make sure you play the matchups and make sure you uh, keep an eye on who, who's pitching against the Red Sox that night. Only advice the Red Sox fan can give <laughs> is what? Well, you said just make sure you know who he's, who he's hitting against because that's true. Because he's, he's not, not going to play. Not, well. He's not playing. Yeah. Uh, luckily for him, I think the big thing that did I will be, be one fair warning. This road trip obviously was heavy favoring lefty pitchers from the Mariners and the A's. So he did hit, he did play more than he probably will in a week. But his numbers don't lie. He came back solid. He knows that he's he's kind of his lease is getting shortened here, and he really needed to play well, and he did. So I believe him to be able to. Uh, when he's in there, he's going to play well as long as he's got the matchup favors him. So, but I think when the matchup does favor him, he's worthy of having on your team as a throw-in player with someone has an off day or something like that. At this point, in most leagues, you're going to have to find someone off of waiver wires to fill the end of the bench when you don't play him that much. I think Shane, along with Jose Iglesias, are two both great guys for that role. And Jose Iglesias, you could play every day and get away with it at this point, too, as well. Is this the same Jared Skelly from, from uh, March and April that hated Shane Victorino? <laughs> I don't like him playing every day, but he's not playing every day, and he's hitting well. So how can I not tell you to pick him up by the numbers in fantasy when he's playing well like that? I don't want him to be the Red Sox every day right fielder. I want Ruzan Castillo up here. But right now, by the numbers, you've got to pick him up. Hey, that's realistic. That's good. You've got to take a shot here. All right, so my two, Shane Victorino, Jose Iglesias. Jose Iglesias being almost a guarantee at this point the way he's hitting and the way he can steal bases. I would definitely consider him. Victorino, I know, is a 50-50 consideration. You don't have to do it, but I would consider doing it. And Jess, who are your two again? They're not in front of me. Shinsu Chu and Jared Weaver. Yep. Definitely get do. Get both of them, I would say. Get both of them. Yes, go get both of them. Especially, yeah. Uh, Jared Weaver would be very well. valuable. Yeah, so go get them. All right, so that is, of course, your fantasy baseball segment here on Red Sox Week for Stealing Ace Radio. And, of course, of course, the... Fantasy baseball segment, excuse me, I'm like a a loss for words. That segment was so good. Um, It's brought to you by DraftKings. Love our new partner here at DraftKings as the sheet will not load for me here. Did not print it out. Not smart of me, Jess. Not smart of me. All right. Not smart at all. The wait is finally over, everyone. Baseball season is here at last, and the excitement continues all season long at DraftKings.com, the official daily fantasy partner of Major League Baseball, and, of course, here at CLNS Radio. Daily fantasy means no season-long commitments, just instant cash and instant gratification. Why wait until the end of the season to claim that victory when you can win huge cash every single day at DraftKings? It's like a brand new season every time you play. So just select two pitchers, eight position players, and stay under that stupid salary cap, and you could be on your way to an enormous payday. Last year, Peter from Colorado won a million bucks at DraftKings in one day just playing fantasy baseball. Hundreds of thousands of fantasy sports fans just like you have already cashed in at DraftKings, so now it's your turn. Hurry to DraftKings.com now and enter the promo code New England to play for 
free, completely free. You can win a part of the $300 million in prizes sitting, waiting to be awarded this season. Use Again, use promo code NEWENGLAND for free entry now at DraftKings.com. Again, go to DraftKings.com and enter that promo code NEWENGLAND. It's a great sponsor. It's a great daily fantasy league. And, of course, they bring you our fantasy baseball segment here on Red Sox Beat every week. So thank you to DraftKings for being a great sponsor. That Peter is a lucky uh, guy. Yeah, I want to be Peter. Colorado, <laughs> man. I mean, I play DraftKings, and I don't come close to winning like that. I want to know what he did, man. Let's get him on the horns. Peter's the man. See what he did. Let's, give, let's get him to give us fantasy baseball <laughs> advice. Like, really? All right. That being said, we can move on here. Talk some more Red Sox-related news before we get to a preview of this upcoming week coming. As we're doing an off-day edition here of Red Sox Speed as the Red Sox do not play tonight on Cianus Radio. Good, it gives people a chance to listen to the show before games start again. It does. It does. Perfect. Hopefully they get caught up here. So, um, Jess, let's get some news here. Um, we're ta- we praised the pitching beginning of the show. We did. Um, which is, that never happens anymore. If you go back to listen to all of our old shows on Stitcher, iTunes, wherever – you're going to hear us crapping on the pitching almost every single episode, if not every single episode. Um, but this week we gave us slack because the offense is just not producing. Nine runs in three games in Oakland, seven runs in four games versus Seattle. Um, in the seven games this week, they're averaging two and a third runs, 2.3 runs per game in the seven games this week. Horrendous. Wow. This team should be averaging five or six runs. And, like, that should be their average. I don't know what it is on the season, Jess. I know you looked up these numbers, not me. But two, 2.3 runs per game for seven games is not okay for this offense. No, it's terrible. I mean, like, wasn't this supposed to be, like, one of the best offenses in history? They got so many fantastic players. We were supposed to get by with the pitching because the offense was supposed to score six or seven runs a game. Yeah, that's not happening. <laughs> that was the story. That was the storyline coming into the season was, oh, we'll be fine because our offense is going to be crazy. Oh, we have Mike Napoli hitting seventh. Well, Mike Napoli is not even hitting 200. Yeah. And it's a joke. So, yes, I'm actually curious. And I heard this, this kind of argument earlier. When, because we all know Pablo Sandoval's raking right now from the left-handed side of the plate. Hanley Ramirez isn't going to be out of that cleanup spot because of what he can do with a bat in his hand. When do you make the switch of taking David Ortiz out of the three-hole? Because right now, in my opinion, until Ortiz starts to hit well again, I would put Pablo Sandoval in the three-hole, because at least when he's hitting lefty, because that guy is raking, and he deserves to be up there. Uh, oh, I just made you I not... I just made you speechless. <laughs> Ugh, see, I don't. I, are you doing that off a of tenure? Like, I don't get... they got to do something. Yeah, but Sandoval, as, as you see on our sheet, Sandoval hit two for 23 in the last week. That's terrible. Yeah, how many lefties? I don't, I don't care. How many times you did he get righty? That's what I'm saying. You do it based on your matchup. You put David Ortiz lower in the lineup when you're when he when when Fant- Pablo Sandoval is hitting lefty. You have to do it. You have to do something. When do you take Mike change. Napoli out of this lineup? When does Xander Bogarts get to be bumped up a little bit and put Mike Napoli hitting eighth or ninth? Blake Swihart's hitting well in certain situations. Like you got to change something just to spark a little bit and just to get people a little uncomfortable in this lineup to make them fear a little bit that they're not going to play every day. I know obviously you're never going to sit Ortiz unless he's going to be a rest day because it's David Ortiz and his potential is much further worse than his bottom line. But you got to do something here. Jeff. I don't think it's smart to switch around, switch the, the lineup around every day. Though. I don't know if it's going to help. I just don't. Oh. But right now, you have Pablo Sandoval hitting fifth, sometimes sixth, with a guy whose who's potential is hitting third and hitting fourth in the lineup. Well, then what do you put Hanley Ramirez? Because he's been, he's been having a lot of over games, too. He has four hit then games, you bump, too. Bump but... them all down, and you put, put Pablo above them both. Let Hanley hit fifth. I wouldn't mind that, yeah. you got to do something, Jess. And I feel like this offense is going to come eventually. I think it's going to click. I really do, because the way they played early in the year, obviously... The, a lot of unearned runs were had at the beginning of the year, mm-hmm. but I still think this offense is going to click. I hope so. Uh, do you, you think Han, do you think Hanley's one hundred percent? No, doesn't seem like it. It's so concerning with him though because he's had the shoulder shoulder issues in the past a couple of different times, and then he injured it again and came back pretty quickly. He did a four hit game, but he's for the most part he just hasn't looked very good. It's just killing me, Jeff. Like it's just. It's a matter of, like, like I watch them hit, and I want to go, just scream at the top of my lungs. Like, I, I want to yell at them. Like, sometimes I do yell at them at the TV. Like, <laughs> I find myself cursing. Like, 
I'm not going to give you examples, folks. Sorry. But, like, I find myself cursing at the TV and, like, just wanting to, like, put my head in the pillow and scream as loud as I can because I'm sick of this offense not hitting. Well, you want me to give you some numbers? <laughs> I got some more numbers from, oh, uh... Are they going to make me feel worse? Oh, absolutely. Oh, then go for it. Might as well, right? It's an off day. I don't have to watch him tonight, so I can do something else to make myself right. feel better. Yeah, no, it's from Nick Cafardo's article in the Globe today. Uh, with runners in scoring position, the Red Sox are hitting 204, <laughs> which is 29th overall in the oh, league, awful. which is garbage, obviously. Awful. Awful, awful, awful. Um, at Fenway, they've scored 69 runs and allowed 78. Not, not the home cooking that you're... Uh, that you're looking for from the offense. Um, the weirdest thing is actually a good thing. They're hitting 262 with 71 two-out runs, which is third in the league, which is very random. Mm-hmm. So that's actually the only good thing. But between your 204 with runners in scoring position and your, uh, they're hitting 194 versus lefties, which is 29th again in baseball. Yep. So you're 29th overall in runners in scoring position average and lefties. And you have faced a lot of lefties, and you have a lot of runners in scoring position. So that's a terrible number. Uh, just Mike Napoli continues to be terrible. Two for 18 this week, four for his last 27. People thought he was breaking out with this one home run. Clearly didn't happen. What do you do with him? It's just like all these, See, all these great that, hitters though? that aren't hitting. Mike Napoli, you don't have a backup plan because your backup plan was going to be Alan Frank, and he's just he's hitting two sixty one in Triple A. Well, did you did you see the update on him? Yeah, he's officially off the roster. Yeah, nobody nobody wanted him. Nobody wanted him. Boy, what a fall from grace. Yeah, right. I mean, for my sake, as a fan, I hope he gets better. I hope he fixes it down there with the with the hitting coach down there and fixes his swing and gets his gets his just game back in general because that guy was an all star man. He was so good. No, he was great. And now he's hitting 261 in Triple A. Yes, I don't. I don't even know. It's so bad. Jack. I don't even know what to say about the offense because, like, the pitching people at least expected them to be bad, but the offense everyone expected to be fantastic. And all these I'm like at a loss for words for how bad right the pitch the, the, the offense is hitting. All right these now. great hitters supposedly who've had success in the past that just aren't getting it done, and even the young guys. I mean, obviously you want to give them time, but Betts is still only hitting 221. Swihart's hitting 179. Bogarts is hitting 260. Like these are not averages that you want in your team. And when you have big guys like Pedroia hitting 270 and Ortiz hitting like 250 and Ramirez hitting 260 and Sandoval hitting 270 and Napoli hitting 170, it's terrible. Like that's it's not good. Like these are some bad numbers. And if you're already if pitching is already suspect and now they're getting better, if you're going to have the offense not produce and you're going to continue being 500, you need both of them to be clicking at the same time if you want to do anything, and it's just not happening right now. Ruznay Castillo, in the month of May, only has two games without a hit down in AAA. Yeah, then he'll come up, and then he'll hit like 110, and everyone will be like, whoa, why is he so bad? <laughs> he has four games with multiple hits, and he has two games with three hits or more, including how many homers? Two dingers. I know you can't really bring him up now because of Jackie Bradley and you just kind of put your stock at him again. But I really think they're I think they're just playing Jackie Bradley to trade for him. Well to get a trade for him. What does he have to zero was, hit so far? Yeah, I know. I well yeah. <laughs> but my point is I think they did the move in the first place because of that rumor. That rumor that came out where they claimed that they tried to chop him to Seattle last year. Right. As much as they came and shut that down, I believe it, hundred percent. Right. That they've tried to trade him. And I still think they are trying to get rid of him because I know they know that they have Mookie Betts and Ruznay Castillo. And now there's not a spot for him because he sucked so much last summer. So I think at this point they're they're playing Bradley, knowing that Castillo's there and getting his advanced triple-A to get rid of him. I know. It's, but what, it's funny because now it looks stupid to have Bradley because they bring him back up and try to get his trade value up, and he's 0 for 11. It's like – I don't think Castillo would be that bad since, like, now this isn't even working because they expected Bradley to hit well because he was hitting well in AAA, and now he's doing exactly what he did last year, except even worse because he hadn't even gotten a hit. <laughs> Bring, bringing him up was is now proving most major league clubs of what he is. Is He's a tweener. He cannot pitch, he cannot hit in this league, but he can hit in the minors like a mother. Right. I think they should have traded him before they even... Um, 
Before they brought him up to the majors. Before they brought him yeah. up. Yeah. Because he was hitting, what, well over 300 in the minors, right? Like 340 or something really good? Yeah. Yeah, like, you trade him then. You say, oh, look, he fixed his swing. <laughs> He's much better. Look at that. We can sell you him and maybe one other guy, and we'll give you some other guy for some pitching, and you're good. No, we need hitting now. <laughs> well, uh-huh. Okay, but you trade pitching for first. You still, I'm still on the market for pitching right now, and you still need pitching. And whether it's your young guys or not, you still need pitching. Um, but Rusnik Castillo, I think, will be up before sooner rather than later is really the better the expression to use. I think by the trade deadline, he's definitely up here. Um, Blake Swihart's not going anywhere, in my opinion. No, I think he's turning into your everyday catcher. Yeah, he's done well catching, and he hasn't hit much yet. But he's only he's only started ten games. It's obviously too early to tell, but it's obviously discouraging when he's hitting under two hundred and he's supposed to be this great hitting catcher. But it, okay, it's but how how old is he? First of all, twenty four, I think. Twenty four. He was hitting three thirty eight in Triple A. I know. Again, we just talked about how Triple A numbers don't always really translate, considering Jackie Bradley. But <laughs> at least Blake Swihart's swing looks like he has the mechanics down. Like when he hits the ball, he's hitting solid contact. And he's hitting opposite field, no problem. He's he's when he's getting pitches to hit, he's even getting some nice hits and swings at pitches that should be striking him out. So I think that the three the three thirty eight number in AAA really reflects on who he is as a hitter more than the one something in the major. Yeah, no, I'm not I'm not worried about it, and I think he'll be fine. And I think he's doing a good job for just getting thrown into it when he wasn't expected to do that. I'm just saying that it, it's discouraging to see him hit under two hundred just when everyone else in the offense is doing terrible at the same time. It's not his fault, obviously. It's just it just makes everything seeming that much worse than it already is. I agree. Um, so, Jess, this offense is struggling, and I kind of want to bring it because we, we kind I kind of just posed the question unintentionally of what needs what would you be more in the market for of a pitching or or pitching or offense at this point? Because you said trade when I joked about trading Jackie Bradley, you said get to them hitting. I said I'm still in the market for pitching. I'm still in the market for pitching, but. Jess, if, what would you do in the pitching? Because I'm looking here. I have the AAA post-doc stats up in front of me here, just looking at some of the young guns who are down there. Playing pretty well. Um, right now, Brian Johnson has the most wins at four. Um, and his ERA is a 2.72. Is he the prime candidate to be the one to get the shot if, say, Stephen Wright doesn't pan out? He seems to be the guy that everyone likes the most. He seems to be the the top the top guy at the moment. He's surpassed Henry Owens. And I guess Eduardo Rodriguez is pretty pretty popular too, but I've seen... I've seen Brian Johnson's name the most is is probably the top possibility, definitely. Why did Stephen Wright get the nod over Brian Johnson? And this is I, I think I, I have a theory, but I, I'm curious on your take, just because Stephen Wright was I guess he he was two and one. He's a knuckleballer. He brings a different feel to it. But in 25 innings, he had a 3.24 ERA. In 36 innings, Brian has a 2.72 ERA. So. Wouldn't the case been bring jo- Brian Johnson up regardless? Like, why would Stephen Wright be up here? I think they did it, one, because of his age. He's already 30 years old, and they want to give him a chance in the majors because he's just been pitching the Myers forever. And I think the other reason was because he's already pitched a couple times, you know, last year in the past, and Brian Johnson hasn't. So I think they just wanted to give him a chance before anybody else just because of his age and experience. Okay, I agree. That's what I was thinking, too. And Fair enough. <laughs> I don't like to agree with you, Jess, because I, I usually don't. <laughs> But I, I think we're on the same page here in the sense of, like you said, Steam Wright's getting is up there in age, and he's been kind of a journeyman minor leaguer. And if they can get anything out of his knuckleball and get five or six innings on average from him, and the offense can start to pick it up, which I'm assuming they're banking on at this point, then you're okay. I'm okay with him being the five starter. And I said this last year, um, the end of the year on this podcast, I believe that. Stephen Wright should get a chance, should get a crack at the rotation because it's nice to see something different. Knuckleball, if his knuckleball can stay consistent, you're pitching in a decent ballpark for it. You're outdoors, unlike Ari Dickey getting paid a crap ton of money to pitch indoors with the knuckleball. Sorry, it doesn't work that sure, way. Yeah. Um, you've seen it here that a knuckleballer can have success in Boston, and Boston fans like it. I'm not comparing Stephen Wright to Tim Wakefield, but when he's the next knuckleballer down the line to pitch here, you have to look at it and say, okay. A knuckleballer can have success. Stephen Wright didn't pitch too bad but the other night on the road. Let's get Stephen Wright some consistent starts here, get him some starts at Fenway, and see what happens. He's going to get a start this week on the homestand. So I'm intrigued to see where the Stephen Wright story goes, too. Yeah, I think it's a good idea, and I think they should definitely give him a chance. It's, I mean, if, if he can be successful somewhat like Wakefield, like you said, we're not comparing him to Wakefield, but he has learned from Wakefield. He's, he's definitely learned some, some technique from Wakefield, and I think he's... 
I mean, he's pretty been pretty consistent. He, I mean, he gives up a couple of runs, but Wakefield always gives up runs too, and he still managed to win games. It's just the life of a knuckleballer, and like we've said, he's he was in the minors for so long, and he definitely deserves a chance. And if you can throw them off, you know, you got you got hard throwers like Buckholtz and, and Kelly, and people like that. And if you can throw your throw your knuckleballer right in there and and mix it up a little bit, I think I don't think that's a bad thing. No, I don't think it is either, and I think that it's a good it's a good place to be. Um, for him, I think he's got a shot now. I think he's going to take the most of it. I think he's, I think it's his spot for now. Like you said, Matt, like we said, Masson's on the DL, so I think it's his spot for now moving forward. Speaking of moving forward, just before we get out of here, I want to do, do our weekly preview, of course, for this upcoming week. Off day today, you got three against Texas at home, like we said, then three against the Angels, who have actually been playing a lot better of late. So that won't be an, any easy series as well, and I believe Texas will be a, a tougher out than we think, and I also believe that Josh Hamilton will have an impact. You'll probably see him. You could see him. You could see him this week in Boston, so look out for that as well. That that might change my mind, but I'm going to stick to my prediction. But Jess, what do you see out of this week, upcoming week here? Well, we'll start with Texas. Let's both talk about Texas, and we'll both talk about the Angels. Um, I like it. Let's see right, that. Perfect. Uh, I think they'll take two out of three from Texas. I, I told you back and forth I wanted to call a sweep just because Texas is... 16 and 22, and they're not they're not doing very well right now. But I think I'll give them I'll give them one one mulligan game since they are they do have some good players in their team at least. So I think two out of three from them. And as I said earlier in my fantasy segment, players to watch for definitely Shinsu Chu since he's been on fire recently. And then they still have Adrian Beltre and Prince Fielder in the middle there. They each have five home runs. Beltre's average is down this year, but Fielder is hitting well over 300. And not being talked about very much because he's on Texas and they're not doing very well. So I think you got to watch out for those two guys. But I think I think you can still count on a two out of three from from them. All right, two out of three is your pick. I am going bold here, Jess. I don't know if you. I just put it in now, so I don't know if you have been on the document. To see I do. My I do see it. Yes. But I am choosing the Red Sox in a sweep. Break out those brooms, man. They're going to do it. They're playing uh, three games against Texas. They're playing on ESPN Wednesday night. Um, Bobby Valentine I, is back. Bobby Valentine is going to be back as an analyst <laughs> at Fenway Park. That'll be interesting. Um, that's gross. Sorry, I don't I hate that. I hate that so much. You're you're a Sacred Heart um, athletic director. Just stay out of the spotlight. <laughs> um, I know it's hard for me to do, but come on. Um, all right, so I'm predicting the Texas Rangers to be swept by the Boston Red Sox. Uh, the pitching matchup has Miley Kelly and Buckholz pitching against Texas, and yes, that has me basically saying that Wade Miley is going to win a baseball game. Um, he but hasn't been too bad recently. Also, no, he hasn't, and he's pitching against Gallardo, who is three and five, so he's not having too hot of a season so far himself. Obviously, a t- Texas Rangers team who hasn't been producing for him, but I think it's an, a pitching matchups of average pitchers. So I think in that case, I would give the edge to Miley and the Red Sox offense. Um, so I'm giving a sweep there. I, I like Joe Kelly's been pitching better, and of course, I'll take Buckles over Rodriguez. Um, I could be wrong in. I think for your sake, Jess, if you're to be right, Buckholz is going to throw a stinker on Thursday. But um, my players to watch out for, as much as I want to say Chu and Fielder, I think Beltre is the big one. Obviously, um, I'm still mad at the Red Sox for trading him in the first place mm-hmm. or letting him walk, whatever the case was. Yeah, remember. let him walk. But yeah. um, stupid of uh, their part because then they followed it up with Will Middlebrooks, and we saw how that worked out for them. Um, and then possibly, and then the Bogarts experiment over there, whatever. Um, I think that. If Josh Hamilton plays, you watch out for him because he could be sneaky good coming back. If not, either way, I think you still have to watch out for Beltre as well. But still, sweep for me. All righty. Two out of three for me, sweep for you. Let's head to the Angels. Next home series, Friday through Sunday. I am also doing the same thing. I'm picking two out of three to win against the Angels. They're 19-19 and 19 right now. Pretty inconsistent season. They're right at 500. One game ahead of the Red Sox. Uh, definitely watch out for Mike Trout. He has 10 home runs already. And another guy to watch out for is Garrett Richards, their pitcher, who had a horrendous season-ending injury against the Red Sox last year. But he's back. He's pitching well. He's 3-2. and two. The RA's low. So I think you were, the Red Sox are facing him on Friday. Yes, Friday. Yes. First game of the series. First game of the series. Is Richards against Porcello. So watch out for Richards in that game. That'll be a good pitching matchup. But I think the Red Sox take two out of three. They go four and two on the homestand and finish the homestand with a twenty-two and twenty-two record. Uh, all right, that's that's uh, 
Good prediction there, Jess. I'm going to be a little more pessimistic about this one. Um, I have the Angels beating the Red Sox two out of the three games. So I have them, yeah, so I have them losing two out of three to the Angels. And they've been playing well of late. Obviously, the, my, a key guy obviously is always trapped to look out for, but I still think you have to keep an eye out um, for Albert Pujols. Albert Pujols is always a guy who can come in and do some damage. Obviously, he's on the latter half of his career at age 35. He's not the guy he was before he got to the Angels in his Cardinals days. But I believe he's always a threat to go deep off a pitching staff who's not afraid to leave the ball up in the middle of the strike zone. I predict he'll have a decent series against the Red Sox. I expect him to hit at least a home run or two. Yeah, I want today. With, yeah, so I expect him to be successful with the long ball next weekend um, because look at him. He guy can still hit. He's still big. And this looks like you're going to be playing at a smaller park against a team, like I said, who's been leaving pitches up. All the mistakes that the Red Sox have been made, for the most part, have been pitches left up and resulted in home runs. So I expect Pools to have a factor in this series. I do predict them to win two out of three against the Red Sox. Um, each of us have them now going, what, four and two, if my math is right, four off the top of my head. Um, so, again, this week, Jess, both of us have the same record, different ways to get there. May the best man win. Well, we were both right about the, the overall record last week, even though you got it perfect. We were. I, we were. I always, got, I always got the record right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm hoping that they go 5-1. and one. I, I wanted to pick them 2 out of 3 to beat the Angels and win the series, but I, I'm, the Angels have been playing well, and the pitching is still inconsistent enough that they have enough power hitters on the Angels that they can do some damage. So I, I think, and they've been playing better than the Rangers have. So I think that 5-1 and one would be what I wanted to do. My gut said 4-2. and two, Well, hope two for 6 and <laughs> Obviously, six and zero would be nice, but I don't think it's coming. That would be a nice uh, shot in the arm for the for the season. That, this would be a good time to go six and zero. So we'll see if it happens. But we got sports, sports fans. Sports fans. I said it. Sports fans want to engage with your favorite CLNS personalities. Download the Reach app today for both the iPhone and Android. Are you a fan of the Celtics, Red Sox, Bruins, Patriots? Of course you are. Make your voice heard today. Join your favorite show, and our host will ask the questions. Maybe your answer will get heard on air. Download the Reached app today, www.reachedapp.com, backslash CLNS. Jess is now handling the Reached app duties for us here on Red Sox Speed. He asked a question every day. Jess, what was the question today, my friend? I was about to say, actually, I'll tell you I'll tell you the question and the results so far. Uh, my question was, how many games will the Red Sox win in the homestand? So right up our alley of what we were just talking about. Boom. And we have five responses so far, and four of them have said two to four games, and one said five to six. So four People said two to four, which is exactly what we said, because we said four and two. Bam. Love it. Go to resap.com backslash CLNS. Of course, you can register for the CLNS page, and you can go to Red Sox Beat or any other great podcast beat systems here, and go and check us out, and we'll ask the daily questions for each of our uh, topics, and we'll get you going, and you can get interactive that way here on the show, as well as tweeting at us, and on Facebook as well. So, uh, Jess, great show. Got a lot to talk about. Got a nice preview. I'm hoping I can get another... Uh, Correct week this week in predicting. I'd be okay with four and two if I get everything right. Yeah, that would be a good. That'd be a good week. All right, so we're gonna end it there. Another nice night here in the Boston area. Not day off today. Got a good week of baseball ahead. So if you're listening here on a day off Monday for the Red Sox, enjoy the rest of your night not watching baseball and listening to us talk. Uh, maybe you'll listen to again. Share. Don't forget to share the podcast everywhere, of course. Uh, don't forget to uh, subscribe to us on iTunes if you haven't as well. That's a big help to us. So if you're a loyal listener, which we know you are. We'd appreciate that as well. Um, that being said, we're going to get out of here now. Jess, appreciate the time. I am Jared Scali, of course. First thing on us ready here on Red Sox Beat. Until next week, enjoy the baseball and see ya.